Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce our speaker. Uh, for some of you, or for a lot of you, uh, he'll be a familiar face. Uh, Dr. Laurel Buckingham was the lead pastor of Moncton Wesleyan for 44 years. Yeah, that... Before retiring in 2013. Now, upon retiring, he's not one for sitting around and being idle. So he and his wife, Lois, uh, co-founded the Buckingham Leadership Institute, which is a ministry of Kingswood University. Uh, so drawing on his 50-plus years of ministry experience, he goes around uh, to other churches uh, to help them maximize their potential. And so he, through the institute, he's able to speak at churches and different denominational gatherings uh, throughout entire North America. So that's what he's been doing for the last uh, two or three years. Uh, he hasn't been uh, in so much retirement. He's probably working twice as hard as he did uh, before. Now, in 2014, our church wanted to recognize his years of service uh, and his commitment to this church community and also the greater community uh, of Moncton. And so he graciously accepted the title of Pastor Emeritus uh, for our church uh, in 2014. Uh, for our, a lot of, despite all of these different titles, though, uh, a lot of people just lovingly call him Pastor B. Uh, and so this morning, it's my privilege to introduce uh, Dr. Laurel Buckingham, Pastor Emeritus. And most importantly, Pastor B. Well, great to be here. Don't make all the rest of these people stand. <laughs> oh, my. Wonderful to be here. That worship was fantastic this morning, wasn't it? I'm telling you, and you know, if we all got what was being sung in the prayer by Mark, I could quit right now and we could all go home because it was so, it says so much of what I feel God wants us to say here this morning. It's always great to be here. We're hardly ever here, but I do have now because of the graciousness of Pastor Tim, he asked me if I would like to have an office up here. So I have an office. So I'm here more through the week than I am ever here on the weekend. But these are great days. And you talked about the, the work. Uh, I've gone from working nine hours a, a week to six hours, six, no, nine hours, nine days a week, not nine hours, to six days a week. So this is great. And this is a great stage in life, you know. Uh, the reason I say it's a great stage is uh, the bills are paid, the kids are gone, and the dog is dead. And so uh, it's just a, a great time. Uh, my son has uh, had a beautiful German shepherd, and it was, if I were wanted a dog, that would be the dog, because it was a wonderful dog with a great temperament. He wanted me to take, he wanted us to take the dog. I said, David, love you, love the dog, don't want either one of you living with us. <laughs> so, uh, but these are good days. And so this morning, we're going to talk about something that was assigned to me. Now, normally, I do not like at all a message topic being assigned because I just feel like I would sooner preach something that, that God had put on my heart than what God had put on somebody else's heart. But this is a win-win because what was put on the heart of the leaders and when they assigned me, as I got going into it, it's what is on my heart and I can hardly wait to share it all with you because it is such a wonderful principle that we find in the Word of God. Of course, it's in John chapter 6, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing this morning, but we will be making reference to Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. This is such an important miracle. It's the only one 
in the Bible that was in all four Gospels. And so I think it is trying to tell us something. And if we can get it and understand it and apply it and do something about it, God is wanting, willing, and waiting to take us from being whiners to winners. Wouldn't you all like to be a winner? Don't you think that's what God wants for each one of us? It's not to be whining, but to be winning for his honor and for his glory. And here's the good news. We all here this morning have what it takes. Every one of us, no exceptions. We all have what it takes to see God do a miracle in our life and to do great things through us for his honor and for his glory. Now, some of you are convinced, but most of you aren't. I can just tell by the look on your face. I'm convinced that you're not convinced. And so I'm praying and believing that the Holy Spirit will convince you before this message is over if you'll hear what we're trying to say and what the Bible is trying to say. And the reason I say that we all have got what it takes this little boy that brought these five loaves and two fishes to Christ, he didn't have much. That, wasn't, that was a big lack, very limited in what needed to be done. Would you not say that just about all of us, if not all of us, have lack and limitations? Do you not feel that you are limited from time to time? Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel that you maybe lack some things that you need in your life to be as effective and to reach your fullest potential? So all of us here have lack and limitations. And people with lack and limitation that God is wanting to do something through. That's the principle. That's the great good news. And so I know you're just looking at me like, I wonder what he's really driving at there, and I understand all that. But remember, there was a great song that used to be sung, Little is much when God is in it. And that's the good news, that he can take the little and turn it and multiply it. It's not just adding to it. He can multiply that little and turn it into much for his glory. Now, the first thing I want to talk about for a bit is the problem with our problems. And we see that in this scripture as we see that Jesus had been teaching all day. Now, I've thought, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So it would seem like it would be right for me to teach all day. You don't seem to look like you were too enthused about that. Uh, I remember H.C. Wilson talking about a long-winded preacher. He said the only way he could have said less was talk more. So I don't want to be put in that category of saying, uh, 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 saying talk. How did I get that right? The only way that he could yeah, say less was talk more. And so I don't want to talk too long here this morning. But it's quite something. And we see, the, we see the situation here where the disciples were, were concerned and all of that. But there's a reason that there was a big problem. First of all, they did what a lot of us do. It's the scripture says they waited to the end of the day. We read that in Mark 6, 35. It was late in the day. 
And so they had all day to do something about this food situation and these people and their hunger, but they waited until the end of the day. And there is a tendency for all of us to procrastinate and wonder why we are not at our best and why God is not doing the things through us that could and should be done and we'd like to see him do through our lives. Do you have ever, have you ever thought about this? Do you have an I, I should list, an I should list in your brain? Do you have that kind of a list in your brain? I should. I should, I should, I should. Well, that I should list needs to be translated into I do list and I do it now list. And when we procrastinate, that just adds to the complication of all the problems. And then we see that they passed the buck. They said, they said what they said they, they should be going into the community and they should be buying food for themselves. And so they didn't want to have anything to do with it. We read uh, that, that they thought that uh, they shouldn't have to be bothered with going through all the difficulty of getting this meal together, and it's understandable, I guess, but they just didn't want to take responsibility. You know something? People that God can use are the kind of people who take responsibility. They say that there's two types of people in the world. There's the externalist and the internalist. The externalist says it's somebody else's fault. They just blame everything on everybody and somebody else should do, they should do this and they should do that and all the rest. An internalist sees it entirely the opposite. They take responsibility and say, I need to do something about this. That divides the whole world into winners and losers. The winner says, it's my responsibility. Loser says, it's somebody else's fault. But then what does that do? that did what it, it does what it did for these men. They, they were stressed, we see, because of what they'd put off, what they hadn't done that they could have and should have done, now that they were stressed. But do you think Jesus was stressed? I think he was totally relaxed because we read in the sixth verse of the sixth chapter, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Here they were fretting and stressed and procrastinating and blaming. But Jesus already knew what could be done. So here's the thing about it. He has the answer to our problems even before we know what the problem really is. And that's a wonderful thing to know that he has got the answer if we are willing and open to do our part. Now, we've got the problem with the problems, but let's take a look at the possibilities with our problems. And here we see in the ninth verse of the sixth chapter, here's a little boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go with so many, of course, was the disciples' question, which is understandable and a legitimate question. Here's the thing that I hope you can hear me say. Are you all listening? God, first of all, wants whatever we have. Whatever we have may be very limited. Whatever we have, there may be great lack. I mean, what could be more extreme than the limitations and the lack of just having 
these five loaves and two fish to feed 20,000 people, many people think, because of the women and the children. So listen, this is for you this morning. This is not pie in the sky, sweet by and by stuff for somebody else. It is for every individual in this place. God wants to take whatever lack and limitation that you may feel and you've convinced yourself you have in your life, and he wants to multiply that for his glory. You got that one? He, so we have to start, all of us here, if we're going to see God work in our lives, we have got to start with what we have, however limited that may be. We start with what we have, and then God, when he sees us starting with what we have, he's ready to take over and multiply those efforts for his honor and for his glory. Now, why do I feel such deep conviction about this message this morning? Well, here's the reason. Nobody ever in this church or on this platform had more lack and more limitations than the person you are hearing here today. When I was a kid, I had no self-esteem, no self-respect, no self-confidence, bashful and backward, didn't, wasn't, truth was, I was not good at anything. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I was born and brought up on a farm. I broke everything I touched on the farm. <laughs> I was no good in school. I spent four of the most miserable years of my life in grades nine and ten. True story. True story. And I could tell you a whole lot more about that. I, I never went out with a girl until I was 18 years old. The only reason I did is because I was forced into a blind date. <laughs> By the way, ended up with the most beautiful girl in the whole Wesleyan church. <laughs> And we were in, I was speaking in Florida at a conference, and after the service, we were out walking around, my wife and I, and we met this elderly lady who first didn't know who she was talking to, and finally she looked at me, and she said, were you the speaker this morning? And I said, yes, and she looked at my wife, and she said, and is this your daughter? <laughs> well, but I had, I had a terrible self-image. I hated the way I looked. I, 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 the, the, when, when they would choose a team in sports, always, just about always, if it wasn't always, the second to the last or the last one to be chosen, I was no good as an athlete. Truth is, I truly do not know anything that I was good at. And public speaking was like a nightmare. You think of the worst nightmare you ever had, and for me to have to speak in public was worse than your worst nightmare. Now, that's pretty bad. And yet, I felt God calling me to preach and felt this compulsion that I had to do what he wanted me to do. But what could he do with somebody who had such lack and limitation? Well, that is what he is in the business of doing. Is what through people who have lack and limitation. <laughs> Is that Shirley? Surely that's Shirley. Um, and then when I felt, when I got into ministry and had such a passion and such a vision, and, 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 and by the way, that is a God thing. That is not something I can commend myself about. That was just something that 
stirred and convicted and called and directed. It was a passion for a vision to see great things done for God because I just felt that the church was always the last and it was the cow's tail and it was the most dismal organization on the face of the earth. And it just seemed to me that the most alive, energized, exciting place on the face of the earth should be the church of Jesus Christ. And so that was the call and the passion. But when I would think about me having any part in that, I would feel presumptuous. I would be embarrassed. I would feel like, what will people think? You know, they, they, they know that I've got all these limitations, and if I talk about or even say out loud what I feel God would have me to do and what I think could be done and what should be done, they're going to laugh their heads off at me. But I could not help myself because, I'll tell you what, what helped me, and, and this, this I hope I can, are you hearing me? <laughs> I hope you're hearing me. This could liberate people here this morning and set you free from the bondage that so many people put themselves in, that the devil puts themselves in because they listen to themselves, talk themselves out of business, and listen to other people talk themselves out of business and get to thinking they're not worth anything and they're no good for anybody or anything when God has got a great plan for your life. Every one of you, every one of you. I, um, this, when I was in this mode, before I'd ever tried to preach and, and, and felt so hopeless and so helpless, the only hope I had, and I mean this, this, this just, this was my total hope for going forward. That there's a scripture verse in 1 Corinthians 1.27 that says that he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. I mean, when you're in the shape I was in, wouldn't that be a verse that you'd hang on to for dear life? The foolish things. I mean, you, you feel like a fool. I mean, I was, had such an inferiority complex that I would make somebody else with an inferiority complex look like an overconfident egotist. My inferiority was so extreme. But I hung on to that verse. You know what I did? Whether I was naive or my foolishness caused me to do it or my faith caused me to do it, I believed that's the very thing that God could do. And when we believe, if we don't believe it can be done in our lives, it ain't ever going to be done. But if we believe and we believe in the promises of God, then he's going to take those small things. And what could be any smaller, more smaller than these five loaves for in light of the crowd and these few fish? But that's what God is waiting and willing and wanting to do as we are open to his purpose and his plan. Now, the glorious part of it is the power to solve our problems. Oh, I was asked to preach my first message in a church. And didn't make any sense because I never preached. This is a rally of a bunch of churches coming together. First of all, it made no sense that the president of Kingswood, where I was attending, would ask me, not, every, not me, having never preached. Now, you, you, that's a stupid thing to do when you stop and think about it. I mean, from the human perspective, that is dumb. 
to ask somebody who's never preached to go representing the college where there's a gathering of a bunch of churches. Now, that's the beginning of a miracle right there, wouldn't you say? That somebody would be that stupid? <laughs> but be that led, be that led by the Lord to ask. I was so nervous. And that was another part of my problem in community. I was, I, I'm a nervous person. I was far more so when I was a kid. I, I, just, I just scared my own shadow. And, and uh, before the service was to begin, we went up to, the, off, uh, to a room off the side of the platform to pray. And we were all supposed to pray. Everybody prayed except me. You know the reason? I, I was so frozen and so scared and so petrified, I couldn't get a word out. That's how bad it was. And had to get up and preach to this crowd of people. And I got up there, and something snapped and something happened. And something took over that has nothing to do with Laurel Buckingham, but it is the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the blood, the power of the cross. And man, I felt a power through me, and I preached like a house of fire. And when I got finished, I thought I was Billy Graham or somebody. I felt <laughs> so fired up about but But I'm saying all that to say that is what Jesus is in the business of doing. That's what this whole passage is all about. And that's the great hope that every one of us can have. But it happens through us. You turn back there to Mark, the uh, sixth chapter, and we read there in the uh, 41st verse of that sixth chapter. Here's what Jesus did. He took the five loaves and the two fishes, he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking to heaven, gave thanks and blessed it. And then he gave it to them, his disciples, to set it before the people. I don't know how he did that. Maybe just gave them a little tiny piece. But here, here's, here's the confidence we can have. <laughs> and I, I, I expect it must have been the confidence the disciples had. If Jesus says do it, he'll give us the power to get it done. If he's calling us to do something, he'll give us whatever we need to do what he's called us to do. That's what somehow or another, and I think the disciples had that confidence to just start, and, but it had to be done through them. This is, this is the way he works. The disciples, this grew in their hands. It multiplied in their hands. And so I'm saying to us, when we're obedient to the call of God about whatever it is he would have us to be and do, then it will happen through us. It won't be just some miracle from heaven that he zaps everything. He will zap or whatever he will bring about. He will see happen what needs to happen through every one of us as we seek to say yes and be surrendered to his will, and he multiplies. By the way, there are 12 baskets left over. Do you know why there are 12 baskets left over? So that each disciple, the 12 disciples, each one could have a doggy bag to take back home with them. And so he didn't want anything to be wasted. Now, to drive this home, last week I was at the summit, which is a leadership summit where over 300,000 people attend throughout the world and have these great speakers simulcast 
and it was tremendous. At that summit was a couple of people that I met before, and one I knew quite well, a man by the name of Ron Huntley, who used to live here in Moncton, and, there, and Father Mallon, who is a pastor of St. Benedict's Church in Halifax. St. Benedict's Church is a gospel-preaching church. They have 300 people in Alpha. All kinds of people are coming to know Christ. I spent a half hour with Father Mallon. We prayed together and talked, and it was just great to hear what God was doing. Father Mallon travels all over the world talking about Alpha to the priests and the bishops and the cardinals and everybody everywhere that will listen. Then he has conferences in his own church where Catholic pastors and priests and what have you and others travel from all over the world to come to his conferences from Australia and everywhere you can imagine because of what God is doing in that church. Now, you know what's behind that? Some of you do. Ron Huntley started coming to this church back a number of years ago and still went to the Catholic church. And the reason he came to this, or he came to this church, he got involved in Alpha, and then he went to St. Benedict's. He introduced that church to Alpha and talked to them about Alpha. And because of Ron, because of one person, now listen, one person doing what would maybe not be anything all that outstanding in one way, there was a person from this church that invited Ron Huntley to come to this church. And as a result of Ron Huntley coming to this church, he, I met him in a conference. He was just so exuberant and so fired up and so excited he could hardly contain himself because he wanted to talk about what had happened here as a result of coming and being introduced to Alpha. Julie Greer. Where's Julie? Oh, she's some, oh, she's hiding back there. Julie, stand up. Julie invited Ron Huntley to come to this church. And now, because of that one invitation that has been multiplied so that there will be maybe millions and millions of people come to know Christ because of that one thing that was maybe very insignificant, the little loaves and the fish. And God has multiplied that. And don't you think he could do that kind of thing through any of us? as we avail ourselves of what he's called us to do. You know, talking about being presumptuous and feeling like I could never, ever amount to anything and came here to the city many years ago and we had a church downtown that seated about 150 people and just kept believing that God wanted us to break barriers and keep going forward. And so that obviously happened and one barrier after another were broken and we had building program after another building program. We had wonderful, godly, great people who stood with us. And that would be many of you here today to see all of that happen. And, and uh, this place, when this place was built, it seemed to get a lot of attention in the city. And uh, a famous person that most of you would have heard the name, Reuben Cohen, who was a Jewish man, attended the Jewish synagogue regularly, but was a very prosperous and a great entrepreneur with a, an entrepreneurial vision, uh, he got, somehow or another, he got excited about what he saw happening here. And now, it wasn't excited maybe from a spiritual perspective, but from an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial perspective. 
He just was blown away and, and was uh, uh, so impressed that he would write me these wonderful letters. I mean, I got a stack of letters, uh, single-page letters that he would write to me, uh, commending and being excited about what was happening and kind of frustrated what was happening as he saw it from other churches and all this. And by the way, every time he wrote me a letter, he'd put $1,000 in it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love those letters. It wasn't for me. It was for the church, of course. And so one day, he was here for a funeral, but he'd never been in this auditorium. And so he wanted to know if he could see the auditorium. And I said, sure, love to show you the auditorium. And he said, could Derek come with me? Uh, could, would you mind if Derek came in with me? Derek was Derek Olin, the head of Brucehead, Moosehead, yes, Moosehead Breweries in St. John. And I said, sure. So we came down the aisle here, and Mr. Cohen, he just could hardly believe what he saw, and he's looking around, and he said, I just cannot believe this in the city of Moncton, and it's just like he was just overwhelmed and blown away, and he finally, he looked at Derek Olin. He said, Derek, if you'd had this man working for you, you'd sold four times as much beer as what you sold. <laughs> well, the point I am trying to make this morning is we do not, the church does not have to be the cow's tail. The church can be in the forefront. The church can be alive and dynamic and have an impact that will glory God because we have everything at our disposal, whatever lack, whatever limitations, to see God multiply that and turn it into something that would be great and something that would bring honor and glory uh, to his name. I um, was kind of sharing with you uh, all that. There's been talking about how the church doesn't have to be in the background one of the things that is happening to me of late, which is just, again, symbolic, symbolic of what I'm preaching about this morning. I have been asked by the Wallace McCain Institute, Leadership Institute to speak to their people about leadership. Now, the Wallace McCain, this is for entrepreneurs, it's for business people. The last time I spoke there, there was, as far as I knew, there was only one Christian in the group, but it was just a wonderful opportunity. They were so receptive. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine taking a, having a pastor come in to speak to the secular world about leadership? But that's the God we serve. He multiplies and, and brings about great things to his honor and glory, and we've been asked by others as well to do the same thing. So how does this all come about? I think it all comes about, first of all, we got to have faith. Faith, like these men had to have after everything was said and done. And these people were satisfied and everything went the way it should go. Faith to believe in the promises of God, but faith to come to the point of believing in ourselves that God is ready, willing, and able to do something for us. We gotta, and, but then along with that, there has to be the obedience the openness, the humility to learn and to be everything he would have us to be. And that is where the rub comes. At the summit, John Maxwell spoke. And as he's standing in front of the people, he holds this arm up like this. And John is great with pregnant pauses. And he just stands there with his smile and looks at people. And I thought, what in the world are you trying to celebrate? I know him well. And then he went on and he said, we all have high hopes. 
But he said, it's uphill. Uphill to see the high hopes come to pass. And it's a matter of faith and surrender and believing. But then he put this hand out like this and paused. And then he said, we have high hopes. There's a hill to climb. But we have downhill habits. And unless we turn those habits to become uphill habits, then we'll never see our uphill hopes come to pass. And when we can take that step, Beth Steves, I think, I know she's here this morning someplace. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly, but here goes. <laughs> Beth Steves makes the best chocolate cake that you ever ate in all your life. Now, that's a hint, Beth, in case you're not listening. <laughs> and that chocolate cake, I don't know what the ingredients are, but I know it makes for the best cake that could ever be. And I say to all of us this morning this. In the cake of success, you know what the number one ingredient is in the cake of success? It's failure. We've all failed. We've all lacked. We've all been limited. But here is the great thing. Failure plus failure plus failure plus failure plus failure plus failure will equal success if we don't make failing the last chapter because it is the fire of perseverance that cooks that cake to perfection.